We recently covered 10 tips that every Flask developer should know, but we left out a pretty big group in the Python web space there. Django developers, and this one's for you. So I've invited Bob Belderbos, who's been running his SaaS business on Python and Django for several years now, to share his tips and tricks for working with Django. This is Talk Python to Me, episode 277, recorded July 19th, 2020. Welcome to Talk Python to Me, a weekly podcast on Python, the language, the libraries, the ecosystem, and the personalities. This is your host, Michael Kennedy. Follow me on Twitter where I'm at mkennedy. Keep up with the show and listen to past episodes at talkpython.fm and follow the show on Twitter via at talkpython. This episode is brought to you by Linode and us. Have you heard about the 100 Days of Code Challenge? It's a challenge where you write code for an hour a day for 100 days. It's helped many developers finally master programming, but it can be hard to know what to study or have resources to focus on. That's why we wrote not one, but two 100 Days of Code courses. 100 Days of Code in Python, which covers mostly pure Python, and 100 Days of Web in Python, which covers a whole spectrum of web frameworks and concepts. If you've been thinking about taking the 100 Days of Code challenge, be sure to visit training.talkpython.fm and check out our courses. They are the 100 days of projects and lessons with a tidy bow on top just for you. Bob, welcome back to Talk Python to Me. Thank you, Mike. It was nice to be here. Hey, man, it's good to have you back. Good to be catching up with you. You know what we should be doing is we should be catching up in Pittsburgh and having a beer, but instead we're meeting on the podcast on Skype, and that's second best. Yeah, there was no PyCon this year. Ah, rub it in, rub it, it in. Was, <laughs> I know, I know. You and Julian both had flights from quite far away to come hang out there, and it, it didn't happen, did it? It didn't happen. It will happen next year. It will. It's hard to see it now, but life will go back to normal, mostly. I think uh, eventually we'll get this whole, whole deal figured out, but uh, right now it's a bit chaotic. So let's just uh, you know maybe check in. What have you been up to since the last time you were on? We had you on two episodes before you were on 140, which was a big one where we kind of met each other and whatnot talking about 100 days of code projects. Ultimately, we went on to write a couple of courses, the 200 days of code for like Python and web Python stuff together. And uh, you were also on episode 224, 12 lessons from 100 days of web, which is uh, sort of ties into that as well. So uh, seems like you're on uh, with the tips here. That's, that's a good set of topics. Yeah, a lot of uh, Django always on the platform. So what have you been up to since back then? That was... Um, Back in uh, 2019, about a year ago. 2019. Okay. So, yeah, obviously the platform is still growing. Uh, that's all in Django. Not everyone knows what the platform is, right? So tell people about your Code Challenges platform and, and what's going on there. Because this is a place that you've been running. How long have you been running Code Challenges for? Since the end of 2017. Right. So three years of running production-level Django stuff, running it on Heroku and doing other interesting things. So a lot of the tips are sort of Hold out of that experience, right? Yes, yes. So it's uh, under codechallenge.es, and it's uh, a platform where people can learn Python through practical exercises, which we have almost 290 now. And um, yeah, that's pretty exciting, and a lot of <laughs> learned a lot of Django there. And um, what's going on for the rest? Well, um, as you already know, I was a Python developer at Oracle uh, till next week, actually. Next week, which is actually three weeks ago. 
due to right. time shifting because we speak in the future or the past or something like that. But yeah, so from the time of recording, you're just about to wrap up your time at Oracle, yeah? Yeah, and uh, going full into PyBytes, which is uh, pretty exciting. So, uh, that's, and congratulations, uh, congratulations. That's so awesome. So you basically, you. I think some people would consider it a dream, right? You've made it to the point where you've built something, curated it over time, and now it's strong enough to be your full-time job, which is fantastic. Yeah, so it took three and a half years. <laughs> <laughs> is that yeah. part of that overnight success that just took 10 years type of thing? Yeah. <laughs> well, I know it's daily work, right? It's, uh, it's a lot of consistency. But yes, um, going full on that right now. Yeah. Awesome. So congratulations. And thank you. That just means you're focused more on, on making your platform run well. And obviously, growing as a business, like the secret that a lot of people don't learn until they try is that running a successful software business is like 30% technology. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot more to it, but you still get to focus on your Django side and make the platform even better. So that'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a platform and um, we do coaching. So we also help a lot of clients with, uh, with their Django. So uh, that's, um, that's a really nice segue. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, I'm looking at the notes that we put together and mm. uh, there's a lot of tips that we got to go through. So there's too I much. feel like <laughs> we trimmed it down. So <laughs> yes. uh, we're going to see if we keep it to 10 plus some unspecified number of bonus items as well. So when I think of Django, this first tip that you have, this is like one of the main things that I think of is like, it comes with these building block pieces that say Flask and Pyramid and fast API and whatnot, just don't come with like admin backends. Yeah. That's where we're going to start, huh? Yes. So Django clearly comes with batteries included. And some people actually don't like that because they want to roll their own and they think it's uh, opinionated. I happen to like their preferences. And yeah, one of those well-known building blocks is the admin interface. And it's it's pretty impressive. With a few lines of code, you, uh, you can just add your model in an admin.py file and you have the complete crowd interface which is probably not for the end user, but as a maintainer of the site, it's it's pretty convenient. And um, it's an also very easy to extend it. So, for example, taking an admin class here, you can define some search fields, which makes those fields searchable. You can have even have autocomplete fields, which they integrated with JavaScript. You can override the get query set and... Yeah, it's a nice way of inheriting from the uh, admin dot model admin um, class, and um, yeah, yeah. So it it comes out of the box. Just I don't know. I kind of think of it as like Google Sheets or something for your database, right? Right, where uh-huh. each table is like a tab or a, a sheet in in the workbook or whatever the terminology of Google Sheets is. But the tabs at the bottom, right? Something to I mean, uh, not necessarily the same UI, but that idea that you have like a grid over top of it. But what you're telling me here is I can go and derive special classes that are tied to the various tables or the models more specifically, and it lets you search different aspects of it. It lets you cool auto-completion. You could also say like limit how many items come back in your search results per page so you don't get a million or something like that, right? Yeah, or you can do a list filter, for example, and then uh, certain columns at the right side of the page, you can um, filter on them by clicking. Uh, just with one line of code. So uh, that's, that's really some cool functionality. And I think maybe in the show notes, we can link to a Django admin cookbook I use a lot, which has like 50 yeah, or so absolutely. tips. And I might have mentioned that before, <laughs> actually on Python yeah. uh, Bytes. And uh, th- th- I learned a lot from that book. Uh, it's like 50 pages. And uh, yeah, very uh, workable. 
code. Super cool. Another thing you can do is you can write a function called get query set and actually do things like pre-join or do a joined queries against other things because otherwise you may end up with like the N plus one problem of ORMs where do one query, then everything that comes back, you have to do more queries per item to try to like fill out the details. Yeah, I will talk about that in in one of the tips. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. That's super cool. Let's see, what else do we want to say about that? Uh, you know, I was it you? I think it might have been you, either you or Dan Bader from Real Python, talking about using this to actually trigger events as you interact with this admin. Was that you? Yeah, I think that was me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell us, that's like, I think that's pretty related. Tell people about that. That's pretty cool. We probably, we spoke about that on Python Bytes. Yeah, I think what we did was in one of the admin models, overwrite the save method and then yes. see if the object was created and only then do a certain action, like emailing people. But in hindsight, that's probably better to do with a salary task. <laughs> but yeah, that's an example how you can override those methods and do certain things. Yeah pretty easily yes yeah very very cool all right uh number two or magic yeah well django comes with its own orm object relational mapper and it's kind of a proxy to the database so you don't have to write sql yourself although i do enjoy I am <laughs> such a fan i'm so, well you worked at oracle didn't you yeah. i'm such a fan <laughs> of orms actually or in the the NoSQL world, maybe ODMs or, or some, you know, like a R might not necessarily make sense. But, you know, there's so many issues you can run into if you don't use parameterized queries, you know, little Bobby tables and all those issues. And yeah. just like if you get the raw queries back and you pull different values and you don't, sometimes you forget to convert this thing to an integer and it's just a string that has an integer in it. That's sort of like there can be all these little weird edge cases, right? Yeah. Whereas um, with ORMs, it kind of, it's like a, a layer that just separates like how your data should be transformed. I really love it. I think it's great. I know yeah, it doesn't 100% work all the time, right? There's places where it doesn't, but that's not as, you know, like most of the time it's a it's a beautiful thing. It's yeah, it's it's a nice abstraction and it, it's way easier to use and more elegant, I would say. It's it's how Django has it's pretty pythonic. <laughs> and uh, you have those helper methods like for example, get object or 404. And it retrieves the object, and if not, um, it returns a four 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 exception. Yeah, exactly, or equivalent um, response, right? So it's uh, might be exactly what you need, and you don't even it's it's just one method. It's uh, very concise, right? So if you just directly went to the objects and said, "Get me something where like the primary key is such and such," you would get an exception potentially, but it might say an exception which is does not exist. The model does not exist, and you don't want to tell the user. Like what that's going to tell the user is 500 server error, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) If you don't stop it. And so this will translate that to basically effectively catch that exception and raise the HTTP 404, which is the the proper response. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, The method is in the shortcuts. So it's it's clearly like a shortcut. (laughs) Yeah. And um, yeah, there, there are so many things I can highlight a few. For example, when you get an object, you can also just manually uh, catch the does not exist uh, exception. Nice one is get or get underscore or underscore create, which if the object is in the database, it retrieves it. And if not, it creates it and uh, returns a tuple of the object and then a boolean create it. So I use it in a few places to sometimes I just want the object, and if it's not there, I want to create it, and you can do that kind of in in one line of code, and then 
the second return a boolean the created you can then say well if the object was created do one thing or if it was not created do another thing and again it's a shortcut right interesting it's like a proactive upsert update or insert but <laughs> the other way yeah yeah well yeah, they, yeah, create, yeah 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 get it mm -hmm. or yeah yeah, 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 that's really cool. All right, what else is good in here? Uh, use filter a lot. You can also use exclude. And then there are those neat, like English-like methods, like uh, first. So, for example, model.objects.first or .last. Or I even preparing, I read about earliest or latest. And those read like English. Oh, and they do exactly uh, yeah. uh, what you expect them to do, right? So that reads like yeah. English, like, like Python. <laughs> <laughs> Then with the query and, for example, if you're filtering, um, you can use uh, under double underscore to, for example, you have a field and then you can do underscore underscore contains. Is that like a like a like percent? Uh, like exactly, percent exactly. Okay, yeah, yeah that's yeah. The, the SQL language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to highlight the syntax that it is with uh, double underscore, and you can even link to other models if you go through underscore underscore and then the foreign key fields and then underscore, underscore the attribute. But of course, as we said before, you have to be careful with uh, doing a lot of lot of queries there. But it's, sometimes you just need to reach out to um, linked models, right? Yeah. Then if you want to do like more complex queries, you can use the uppercase Q, uh, the Q objects. So you could do Q if one field is this or Q if another field is that. So that's um, a way to... Um, concatenate certain conditions right because a lot of times you'll end up you can use filter and put multiple parameters but you're going to end up with an and which is exactly that's a good you, point you don't, yes yeah yes. you don't always want to like sometimes you do but if you don't filter's not going to help you that's a great uh addition because exactly if you do like filter attribute equals comma another attribute equals there and and yeah with exactly. a q you can do an or yeah which sometimes yeah. Is, is convenient yeah and then we have annotations, so the group by. So, um, for example, I have a Django tip. We, we, we might be able to link to it maybe in the show notes, uh, how to get <laughs> how we got the most common user names on the platform, which happened to be David, Daniel, and Michael. <laughs> Just a lot of programmers <laughs> named like that. Yeah, I guess so. Interesting. I feel like we almost are going to have to create some gists of your little code samples oh, yeah. and then like link to them, right? We could do yeah, that. Yeah, we can totally do that. Yeah, and also yeah. this one, what I really like, that how the code is laid out over multiple lines, as I guess Black would do it. And um, you're looking at the same code, right? That's pretty elegant, I think. Yeah, it's super <laughs> elegant. Yeah, I really like it. And I feel like I write Django RM code all the time, even though I don't use Django, nor do I use a relational database. That's weird, right? And the reason yeah. is I use a Mongo engine, which is the ORM ODM for MongoDB, but it's modeled on Django ORM. So like it's almost identical, you know, as much as it can be okay. being non-relational. So anyway, yeah, it's it's a really nice API. I, I do like cool. it. And th these are cool. Yeah, we'll, we'll put the gist of how you got the most common usernames yeah. out of, or first names out of your users. That's cool. Can link to it. Okay. I guess hand in glove with ORMs, ODMs is the models that define them, right? Yeah, nice segue, right? The, <laughs> the yeah. ORM free is the models. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the models. A uh, few uh, tricks there I picked up. Auto now add and auto now, which um, are keyword arguments to model fields. Is this if like I have a date time, like a created date or a last updated date or something like that? Exactly. Yes. Okay. So if you have an added and an edited field, 
then the auto underscore now underscore add would add the date upon creation. So typically the edit. And the auto underscore now would update every time the row is updated. So that's a nice and easy way to uh, to keep track of those dates. Like when no, was that's, the record that's created? Clever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's sweet. I love the auto now versus... All right, I love the distinction as well because sometimes you want it just a default when it's created and other times like last login or last updated for a CMS page or something would be what you want. Yeah, and you don't have to write any code. Those are just attributes that come with that field and easy to use. Then we have null versus blank on a field. And the distinction there is that if you say null equals true, then the field can be empty in the database, right? And if you say blank equals true, then it can be empty on the form, right? So if you don't say blank, then and you use a Django form, it might still think that the, the field is required in a database. So null is for the database and blank is for the form. That, that's the easy way to uh, remember it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, cool. Underscore delete is an important one because if you link models together and you say on delete equals models cascade, then it will recursively, when you delete a record, also delete the related records, the records in the related uh, or linked tables. Right. So for example, maybe a code challenges, there's a user, the user has done a bunch of challenges, you've saved yeah. their results, maybe some other stuff about when they logged in. If you delete the user and you have a foreign key relationship, it's going to, yeah. it might even freak out, right? It might say, no, this relationship is required. You can't delete the user because there's entries in the challenges result or whatever yeah and this way it'll just it'll wipe out that entire tree like following those relationships right yeah 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 exactly and uh, it just deletes all their stuff right so when i'm Man, in cascading uh, deletes have always scared me i've like almost yeah. never turned them on in my ass because i'm just like boy that could go a long ways that could take more down with it than i actually intended uh, but yeah. you know it's very valuable and useful and i totally get it but it's cool if a user wants to leave the platform right we uh, we have to delete all their data so i uh I still do it manually. So then in Django admin, delete user. And then it, it shows you like all the objects that's going to be deleted. And are you sure about that? And like, uh, I always <laughs> <laughs> look like a second time. Is that indeed the case? <laughs> and, uh, and yes, it all ties back to the user. So you don't want to delete a yeah. user and have all kinds of ghost objects in the database potentially. So that's, it's, it's actually yeah. useful. But if you want to keep the records, you can instead of models. Cascade, you can use models uh, set null, and then it keeps the records, but where the foreign key was user, it sets it to null. So that's, I see. that's okay. a, a good So it kind of cascades it. Yeah. So the relationship's not broken, not yeah. in the database's corrupted sense, but yeah. it just unwires it, yeah. Yeah, it makes like, there was a user link, but now it's none. Like, it's anonymous yeah. now. This portion of Talk Python to Me is brought to you by Linode. Whether you're working on a personal project or managing your enterprise's infrastructure, Linode has the pricing, support, and scale that you need to take your project to the next level. With 11 data centers worldwide, including their newest data center in Sydney, Australia, enterprise-grade hardware, S3-compatible storage, and the next-generation network, Linode delivers the performance that you expect at a price that you don't. Get started on Linode today with a $20 credit and you get access to native SSD storage, a 40 gigabit network, industry-leading processors, their revamped cloud manager at cloud.linode.com, root access to your server, along with their newest API and a Python CLI. Just visit talkpython.fm slash Linode when creating a new Linode account and you'll automatically get $20 credit for your next project. Oh, and one last thing, they're hiring. Go to linode.com slash careers to find out more. Let them know that we sent you. 
Yeah, in my current systems, if somebody deletes their account, we have a, a deleted users table next to our users table, and then we just null out all the stuff that identifies them, but we still have the ID. So if I go back and say, this user did this thing, I can still trace back that ID and go, oh, that's actually a user that used to exist who deleted themselves. That's interesting. So, yeah, that's that's cool because you do have then the original data. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but this, I mean, this, if, if you're happy to make it go away, it's really handy because with relational yeah. stuff, it's really hard to like, all right, well, I'm going to traverse all the relationships and how do you unwind them so that the database will actually accept the delete, right? So this, this is really nice. Yeah, cool. And, and one more model managers, right? What's up with that? Yeah, there uh, is an example that you can define your own model or query. For example, here I linked it to, um, we can, we can link to it, uh, a forecast day manager. And it has a latest method, and it um, you know it uh, gets the latest uh, forecast date or does any query really, and then you can just call that method on the object. So model dot objects your method. So it's kind of a nice way to not have all that query logic in the view potentially, but yeah. uh, have that in the in the model where it should be. And then it's it's like a property, right? Where you do some a bunch of complex stuff, and then it's just uh, um, instance dot your property name, which is is very yeah. clean, right? So yeah, I thought that you, was uh, write it once and use it in other places without thinking about it, right? Yeah, and then again, it reads like English, yeah, and abstract that logic in the model. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, and meta classes, which are not really meta class. Well, they I guess they are, but you can uh, define database it. meta, not Python meta. <laughs> you can uh, make a class meta in in your model and. Um, I don't use it for many things, but for example, uh, I think most common example is uh, that you can define the ordering there. For example, you can say dash edit, and then in your admin or wherever, whenever you uh, query that model, is then the objects uh, show uh, descend in descending order. Right. So the default sort, if you don't specify one. Yeah. So yeah. That's cool. that's one example. Yeah, that's really handy. Yeah. Nice. Nice. All right. Now, this so far, what we've been talking about, besides my little diversion to Mongo engine, which is not a very common use case, has been mostly Django specific. But this next one that you got here, I feel like a lot of the frameworks have an equivalent, but a lot of people probably don't use them regardless of the framework they're in. Mm -hmm. And that's the debugging toolbar, right? So going more into the developer tool set, yeah, which uh, has been very useful. It's a plugin, so you pip install it. You add it to the installed apps, I believe. And I think there's a middleware as well. So a couple of two or three settings. And then, of course, you load it only if you are developing locally or which typically means is when your <laughs> debug is set to true. Not not in production. <laughs> that, <please>. that is <laughs> super, super important. Yeah, there's tools out there that will scan websites for the presence of these debug toolbars mm. and try to pull them up. It's it's bad news to have them out there. So, yeah, I'm, I mean, there's been a lot of... Uh, vulnerabilities around this actually and those are are important and, and easy tweaks maybe a little segue for example if you have like the default dash admin slash admin that's super easy to find right so it's it's very right. easy uh, to in your urls to make it like my dash backend and then make it a little bit more hidden right <laughs> well yeah exactly i mean i don't know how many people have like pulled up the logs for their website as in the request logs live and just go to the server and tell your logs or whatever, you will see untold number of requests for various PHP pages and Node.js pages and whatnot. Yeah. It has nothing to do with what your site is. They just like, all right, here's the five most common backends, you know, 
wpadmin.php and whatnot, right? They're just looking for them. So surely they're looking yeah. for Django admins as well. Yeah. So yeah, watch out with uh, a bit the security. But uh, the main um, reason I pulled up the debugging toolbar here was a story, performance story. That on some oh, yeah. pages they became pretty slow, and I thought, ah, okay, it could be more data, more users. But actually, then when I start looking at those pages, how they loaded with the debugging toolbar, I saw that yeah, there were actually hundreds and hundreds of queries happening, and that was <laughs> imagine because... that that would be slow. Yeah, especially uh, if the servers on a different uh, the the database is on a different server, physical server or virtual server. Right. right, it's got the network latency and all that stuff. Right, yeah, <laughs> and it was actually because I was not using select underscore related to link models in an efficient way. So when you use select related, it makes one extra query to link up the two models. But then every time you access a foreign attribute, so to say, it's already there. It's like a pre-cache. So once I got that in place, then the page became super fast. And but. The main point was uh, that the debugging toolbar made that super easy to to diagnose, right? Yeah, and I think probably hearing the word debugging toolbar, a lot of people who've not like, you know, they're like, what is this annoying thing that's on the side of my website? Mm. I want to make this go away, right? Like they haven't really explored it. It does catch errors. And to me, like that's the least value that the thing adds. The debugging part is completely, I don't know. I have other tools that tell me that. You can just look at the output and the stack trace. But the real value is in the performance. You can check off things like track the performance of the actual you know, profiling level of your code and show me where the time is being spent. And then also into the database, right? Like these are the queries that are happening on this page and how many, and if you see like, oh, I'd expect two or three and there's 500, you're like, ah, oh, this is really broken. Let's yeah. figure out why we're going and getting its second table over and over and over again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So- Flask has an equivalent one of these. Pyramid has a, an equivalent one of these. They're awesome. You should definitely check them out. Don't deploy them in production. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Number five. Yeah, um, I had extending the user model, and I linked to a an article simple from Simple is Better Than Complex, which is a, it's a great Django blog. And it's more about strategy, like when you start a project and you're inevitably going to store more data on a user, right? Their preferences, their profile settings, and you have to kind of think like how you, you're you going to do it from the start because one way or another has quite an impact on your code. So the article uh, has four methods, proxy model, the one-to-one with a profile table and extra two forms of um, extending the uh, abstract user base class. And especially that that those last two options are really you want to do only from the start, and I believe before running the initial migrations. But I, I would have to look that up. For the platform, we actually went with the one to one model, the profile model, which um, might cause a few queries there, but it has never been really a performance issue. Does lead to pretty easy to maintain code. And um, we use the signal, actually, or I think they're called signals, which is uh, interesting to highlight, um, yeah. that when the user model gets created, you can use uh, the receiver decorator with a post safe and then write literally three lines of code that the profile object gets created once the user object is created. So basically, when when a new user signs up to your Django app. Right. And so it... 
if you need one table to like so you have a preferences table and a user's table, whatever you create the user, you want to automatically have the the preferences created to defaults or whatever. And so you can wire it up right. basically an event that is triggered through the ORM that when you first create one, it's going to set this up and it's going to initialize it with a, one of these, right? Correct. Yeah. And nice. um, I think it's a nice trick to know about like how you can signal one model to another and have the other model do something based on the other one. I think that's a useful trick. Yeah. Well, I think an overall general principle that's really, I found really super valuable around like these kinds of models and database stuff is as much as possible, use the ORM to do the default thing, like the add, add now or auto now, auto add, auto now add, that kind of stuff. Yes. Right. So when I create the object, if I don't set anything, a whole bunch of stuff will get filled out. And only the things that I have to specify do you have to actually go, right? As opposed to always updating the updated time yourself or something like that, right? So as much as you can lean on those things, and this is like a cross model version of that. Yeah. Yeah. So usually when you want to do something, the ORM has has a default way. <laughs> yes. So again, it comes back to the previous uh, or tip number three, like know the ORM pretty well, right? Yeah, yeah. that's for sure. I don't know how you feel, but when I go around the internet, I feel like there's a lot of sites that just don't understand how their web app interacts with their database. You know, mm. you go there and it takes like six seconds for the page to load. <laughs> or, you know, you go there and there's like four parts of the site that are like spinning little Ajax things for like five seconds. You're like, what is wrong with you? It can't be this, cannot be this slow. Like it just cannot, <laughs> I don't care how many million records you have, you've got to be able to use an index and make this a little bit faster than this, right? And just... But it, it's ongoing, I think. Oh, that's a good point. The uh, database indexes, super important. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, yeah. And you can another, specify them another on the models, attribute right? on the, Yeah, another attribute you can just specify there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think in, indexes are... Big deal. Definitely. Yeah. Over, indexes are like magic speed dust you can throw in your database. They're beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not sure the ratio, but it can it can be 100 times faster, right? It's, it's Oh, it's easy. Insane. Yeah, 100 times yeah. faster. It's It's insane. Yeah, and it's... It's like one little line of code, like index equals true type of stuff, right? It's so, so simple. Yeah. Uh, but people overlook it. So, um, yeah. yeah. Now, especially uh, in enterprise, with enterprise apps, uh, they're always hammering on, on indexes. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's very important. I can imagine. can imagine. All right, no, what's number six? Uh, class-based views. Yeah, so with class-based views, these are basically one class corresponds to a URL, but that has different functions to respond to the different HTTP verbs, like get, post, put, that kind of stuff. Is that what these are? Or are they different? Yes, it's. Uh, I would have to look up the exact uh, classes, but you have typically like list view, detail view, which then tie into the CRUD operations. Yes, yes. Right. So you can even have one for head, which is not not that common. But sometimes, you know, if you're looking for like a browser is looking for, should I actually download this thing? Tell me the e tag, you know, last modified sort of thing, so I know whether or not my cache is still valid, stuff like that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. Okay. So yeah, and and. I'm kind of torn because I'm looking here at um, uh, one of you know the apps for the hundred days uh, of web where <laughs> we showed function based versus class based, and I like them both because function based you kind of see what's happening that you you pull all the objects then you render uh, a template with give it a dictionary of things you want to render in the template so it's a, to me that already looks pretty Pythonic and and compact, but then if you compare the class based you see all that inheritance happening for example we have a quote list which inherits from list view which then is that magic superclass with all that default behavior 
which is cool if you know them very well, but it can also be hiding a lot of stuff away. So for example, the, the list view, the only line there is model equals quote, which is saying like, build me a list view around that model. And then stuff magically happens, right? So it's cool, but it's also hiding a lot of stuff potentially. Yeah, yeah, I hear, I hear exactly what you're saying. Yeah. I feel kind of the same way. So, but uh, it's definitely inheritance and um, you can override certain methods. So if you know them well, it's, it's, it's pretty elegant and uh, robust. Yeah. Nice. All right, number seven. This also feels very much like the batteries included side of the Django story. Yeah, I call it minus.py and I guess it can be a, an episode in itself, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. I just thought that to highlight a few um, kind of, um, how would you say, like meta things, how you manage a, well, that's why it's called manage.py, how you manage a Django app. Important is the migrate, of course. We, we all have used it. If you start a Django app, you run migrate and a ton of stuff is, is, is shown because it comes with a lot of models, uh, the user authentication yeah. stuff um, embedded. But for example, you can use fake initial on migrate. And then if the database is kind of further ahead and there's already stuff there, so it's out of sync, then fake initial is a way to kind of tell Django, well, if it's already in the database, ignore it, which can be useful if, if your database is out of sync. You have low data. For example, if you want to have a bunch of data in your initial database, which sometimes is referred to as pictures, and you can give it a JSON file and pre-populate your database, which can be useful. Then we have shell, which is cool because if you do Python manage.py shell, you drop into the Django shell and you can play with the ORM directly. So you can do like from models import byte, and then it can do byte objects uh, count, uh, byte objects last, whatever ORM stuff. So it's a nice way to... It's like a REPL for your web app. A REPL for your... For, for your web app, yeah. And you can play with the objects there. It's it's pretty useful. Yeah, it's really handy because if you work with the ORM, you might have some of these auto, like linking auto features that set values. And if you flip over raw to the raw database, then all of a sudden you lose all that stuff that you've set up to help you kind of manage and make sure it's all consistent, right? This way you can kind of script around in there, yeah. but with that safety or whatever you call it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and if you load in your production database, you can actually do that on your live database. So that's pretty yeah. cool yeah, and useful cool. if you want to debug something. Uh, Manage.py test to run the test. Not much more to say about that. Then most people that use Django will, will know, create super user. So that uh, gives you a bunch of uh, prompts to create a user with all the permissions, which is useful to have to quickly lock into the backend. I, and, and the one I really like, uh, lastly, is the Django commands. So you can write your own kind of use it for cron jobs. For example, you can write a, a command which inherits from base command and you um, override the handle method. And then typically what, for example, we use it to, um, for example, we have people on the platform doing trials and the trials is two weeks, right? So after the two weeks, they're, they're done with the trial and we have to tweak a couple of settings on their profile to um, get rid of that access. And so we have a command that queries all the, the profiles, profile objects of people that have an active trial and then compares like when they started to the trial with daytime now or time zone now <laughs> and does one action or the removes the access. And that's a, a, util, a script that's under the app management slash commands slash script. 
And then in Oroco, we use scheduler. And then we say, well, every day at 9 a.m., run that script. And if you have a script in managed management slash commands, then manage.py recognizes that as, as a command. So if you put a script in there, then you can use it through the manage.py interface, which is pretty cool. So you can write your own cron jobs, basically. Yeah, that that's makes super sense. cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's that's really nice. So it basically lets you just add these commands and then tie it into the Heroku scheduler or Celery or something like that. Then it becomes this cool cron job that knows all about your site. Yeah, so in, in Heroku scheduler, we would define every day at 9 a.m., uh, run Python manage.py and then name of your command, which is the name of your script. And yeah, just like that. <laughs> nice. Yeah. yeah. We, we can, we have here on the notes a template, uh, some template code, how, how that would work. Maybe we can make a gist of that as well. Yeah, I think we have to make some gist. <laughs> yeah. All right. Number eight is all about middleware, which is code that runs that might see the request before it actually hits your in view methods or action methods or potentially yeah. changes them after it's already been processed and decided, but before it actually goes out the web server to the end user. So it's like a before and after view yeah. of it, right? Yeah, it's not super common, I think, but it's a nice way to have some sort of global layer in your pipeline, in, in the request pipeline of Django. And a practical example, we uh, how we used it on the platform uh, was to... You remember when we had to make those GDPR changes, like with the regulations and stuff? Yeah, I know. So, we talked about this and we all had to do weeks of rewriting stuff to make sure, yeah. even though it was in the same vein, it wasn't technically you know, matching every rule. So we had to go and you know go through all that and, and make sure there was. Yeah, it could, could be another episode, the, the stories <laughs> we, have, we have from that one. But so we made all these changes and we had to have some sort of form with already 10K users or more to have them kind of say yes to this at one time. They had to have a, like another acknowledgement the next yeah. time they visited the site. Yeah, because of where they came into, not through the login flow or whatever. Yeah, because we were, they were already a user, right? So they went through right. the registration flow. So we couldn't put it just there. We also had to do for the existing user. So we, we wrote a, a middleware that redirected, that kept track uh, if they had their consent, gave their consent on their profile. And if not, it would redirect them to that page, to that form, basically, where they would give their consent. And um, yeah, it was a nice way to enforce that that login, that sorry, that redirect based on a profile setting, basically. Yeah, so middleware was, was perfect there because it's kind of ruthless in <laughs> as it sits in front exactly. of all the requests. It's, that's right? a really, really good point that it's ruthless and, and in a good way, in a sense, right? Like if... You were to think, okay, well, users need to make sure we got to make sure they accept the GDPR at this point before they go on. So let's check where they go and perform a byte, where they view their solution, maybe where they view their account and where they log in. And there might be some other part of the site that you forgot about, right? And in addition to just having to modify all those places, it's super easy to forget one weird edge case. But with middleware, every request that hits Python, that hits Django, hits this thing, right? And so there's no yeah. escaping it. <laughs> You've got to accept the thing or you're getting yeah. redirected. Yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, I also linked here to a, to a cool article, uh, again, from uh, Vitor Freitas, where he uh, wrote a bunch of middleware to catch for any exception that is handling. <laughs> it goes out to Stack Overflow. It's called the Stack Overflow Exception Troubleshooting. And uh, <laughs> only in debug mode, of course, uh, it would list the... Uh, 
<laughs> It'll dump three the first Stack Overflow answer yeah. fight. Oh, that's yeah. incredible. Yeah, it's, I saw it yesterday and I was like, this is so cool. Like, uh, it's, it's, that's it's such, crazy. A, such a cool use case. So I just yeah, that's to, a wild uh, use case. How interesting. I'm glad you linked it to that. Okay, yeah, the, the two places that I use that I'm really actively aware of using middleware in my sites, and you know, Pyramid has middleware as well in Flask and so on. One is for things like Sentry, where it's it's looking at for any unhandled errors. And instead of just letting the server 500 page go back to the user, it'll catch it, report it, and then send it on, right? So it'll it'll gather up all that information. And you basically just register that. You don't have to do a lot. And the other one is this thing I'll just throw out. I threw on the bonus round really, really quick. is a thing called Secure Pi, which will add all the headers that you should be adding for security, like do not allow my site to be embedded in an iframe on another site, mm. right? And the, the the middleware will say, I don't care how you got to this request, but we're going to tell you, you can't embed this, whatever this is, on another site in an iframe. Things oh, that's like cool. that, right? So yeah, yeah it's, super, it's super cool. And it's like literally three lines of code to do it. But because it's middleware, you know you're not forgetting it. The whole site just now all of a sudden adds the right extra security headers yeah if you're updating uh 20 views then it's, it's time to pause and reflect <laughs> is there a better way right <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly yeah yeah yeah, yeah. cool cool uh, so speaking of better ways uh, number nine you should just put your api keys and your passwords right inside the code right but not no. the view method probably no <laughs> no okay well, you mean tell, tell me about like Committing your secret key to version I'm, control? I'm just, I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I know you're. Yeah, it's uh, no, that that's an important thing. There's stuff that you, of course, should keep out of version control. Uh, the way to do that is to, for example, have a .env file, and which you then ignore in your .git ignore, and then those uh, those keys are are hidden forever, right? But you still need to reference them in your settings.py. And there are two packages that make it pretty uh, friendly and easy. First one is Python decouple. And um, you import, for example, from decouple, import config, and maybe CSV, depending on the setting. And then you can just do secret key equals config, and then the key, right? Secret key, which is the actual secret key line in your .m file. So it magically knows that there's an end file, reads it in, and extracts the key from it. So really nice plugin to handle your your settings. And okay, yeah, so, this is really cool. I hadn't heard of that one. That's neat. Yeah, I always recommend it to anybody using Django, really, to just pip install Python decouple and make their lives easier. <laughs> yeah. And similarly for the database, you can use uh, DJ database, dj-database-url, very similar to decouple that it uses the config method. And you can just give it uh, default equals config and the database URL. And yeah, so as you see here, we, we can put the snippet in this show notes. The database's uh, dictionary config section is uh, is very compact. You don't have to... Well, obviously, you have to have the right database URL string in your .m file, but it's much easier, it feels. Right, right. And database strings often contain username, passwords, host names, host ports, all the kind mm. of stuff that you kind of not want to share. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that needs to be all uh, <laughs> uh, hidden away. Yeah. And um, one tip I do have regarding the .m file. So as the .m file is hidden from version control, it won't show up on, on GitHub. So I recommend to commit a .env.example file with the same 
strings with the same uh, keys, but of course, so the same, for example, secret key allowed host, and then of course not the actual uh, data, but just as a way to communicate to other developers, like this is the M file we're going to use. So copy this to a dot M file and, and put in your, sort of your credentials there. But right, so it's a nice right. way to communicate. Type the like, actual database connection string here, type the actual I don't know, encryption key here, whatever, AWS key there. Right, because the platform has like 20 or 30 of those variables. And if somebody would start developing on, on that project, how, how do they know, right, what to set? Unless you run run server and it just, <laughs> just start keep, screaming keep about missing keys. Until yeah. It, yeah, until it crashes. Yeah. Yeah. The thing is, though, sometimes those don't crash right away, right? Like maybe you have mm. a MailChimp API key, and the only time that's going to scream and crash is when you actually try to register a new user, not log in an existing one, or you know something weird yeah. like that, and then like you you push it to production and bad things happen. Or... And it's a silent error. That's the worst. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's better exactly. if stuff blows up than it goes <laughs> silent. Like the of Python, right? Uh, no error should <laughs> pass silently. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. All right, big drum roll for number ten. Even though we'll do a quick bonus round at the end as well. Yeah. 10, uh, yeah, it's a big one. Uh, build in template tags and filters. And yeah, there, there's a bunch of stuff there. I think it's just good to, as you're writing a lot of templates, uh, where you're going to reference the objects that you pass in from the views. It's kind of handy to know how, how to do that. So I will just go over a few ones we, we learned about and use. So for example, you have a books, the list of book objects. And you look through them, but sometimes there are no books, right? So instead of like doing if books, look over the books and else there are no books, you can actually do for empty. And that's kind of a, a construct that Django has that if there are no objects, then it goes into the empty block. It's just shorter, right? Oh my God. Is this a proper use for like an else block on a for, for in loop? Something I like think that. It might, yeah. it might yeah. be actually. So. You've got the the syntax, you know, you've got the angle bracket percent for book in books, mm -hmm. li curly curly book, right? So you're that would be, and then you would say end for, and that would just print out a bunch of li's with the various books that were in the list. Yeah. But like you said, you're going to want to deal with it if it's not there. So instead of doing a whole nother test in an else, like you can just say four books, li, then percent empty. Sorry, there are no books, end for, and it's all like one continuous thing. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I guess there's no shame in doing an if if else performance wise, I guess, but it's it's just shorter code, right? It's it's more elegant and uh again it's it all goes back like knowing about those constructs. Yeah, and it's more expressive. It's like yeah, here's the thing to put when it's empty, not oh I see. It means that if this thing is false, then we have nothing. But if it's true, then we can go into its book list inside and like it's just it's more clear about like Here's the empty case. So it's more explicit, right? Yeah. Yeah. And also yeah, yeah. to get really nerdy, like in those templates, <laughs> you get to a lot of uh, indents already because HTML yeah. is like that. If you properly format it, oh, it's so bad. So yeah. it, that extra if else you can save there is it's just <laughs> nice, right? In two to four spaces less. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> Talk Python to me is partially supported by our training courses. How does your team keep their Python skills sharp? How do you make sure new hires get started fast and learn the Pythonic way? If the answer is a series of boring videos that don't inspire or a subscription service you pay way too much for and use way too little, listen up. At TalkPython Training, we have enterprise tiers for all of our courses. Get just the one course you need for your team with full reporting and monitoring. 
or ditch that unused subscription for our course bundles, which include all the courses and you pay about the same price as a subscription once. For details, visit training.talkpython.fm business or just email sales at talkpython.fm. Then what we uh, use a lot uh, is overriding blocks. So in the base template, you can define a block, for example, title, title of yeah. the website. And then it's, again, an example like class-based views of inheritance. Then if you go into the child template, you can just specify a block title and then give it some other content. So you dynamic. So in the base template, you kind of set the expectations. You're going to be blocks of ABC. And then in the child template, you can then actually populate those blocks. And I think the advantage is that sometimes a title, for example, needs to go high up in the order of HTML. So you have to kind of, the order of the elements on the page, you have to kind of have it in your base template. And so it's a nice way to set it there and then come back in the child and set it to something else. That makes sense. Yeah, I love these types of things that I have on all the sites that I run. I have three or four that are always there. Obviously the main content, right? Like whatever the page content's going to be, there's going to be one for that. This title one is super important because you want to be able to set like literally the the angle bracket title, but there's not really a good way to get into that space from a base template, a drive template, right? It's got to like reach and poke a hole up there. The two other that I always have are like extra CSS and extra JavaScript. Mm. So like in this page, in this few pages, I need to have one more CSS file or I need to have like this one page is going to use Vue.js and be like a single page app, but not the rest of the stuff. So on this one, I'm going to like, punch the Vue.js stuff at the end or something like that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, for example, maybe on your checkout page, you want to have the Stripe uh, JavaScript library, but not exactly. on all pages, right? Yeah, so you can do that extra exactly right. JavaScript and then have that script uh, import there, although it might not be nice to have that. I mean, strict uh, HTML, but, you know. <laughs> no, no, I'm pretty sure like uh, that's probably exactly what I have. That's a perfect use case. It's something like that only appears on a few pages, you don't want to bundle the Stripe. I don't even know if it makes sense in terms of their API to like minify and bundle their JavaScript with yours. It needs to come from their site live. And so, yeah, exactly. But you yeah. want to stick it in the right place, not just randomly in the middle of the page. So these little like block overrides are just perfect. Yeah. Cool, cool. So never hard code URLs or static files. You can um, set the static at the top of your template and then just reference static and then the relative URL. Or URL to, to link to another page on your web app, you can just use the URL and then reference the name of the URL as you set that in your URLs.py. So, so the example here, we have curly braces, percentage, and then URL keyword, and then the string login, and that then matches to the login path in the URLs.py because we named it right. that explicitly. That's a good thing to know. Don't go hard code. URLs because you switch domain or whatever and that will all break, right? Yeah, yeah, super cool. Other thing I like is uh, filters. So I have a tags.py file and uh, you have a bunch of register.filter decorators. So for example, here we wrote one that's uh, is new with uh, that receives a daytime and that looks if um, that daytime is uh, less than seven days in the past. So if, if something is a week old, so, and then we use it in the template. For example, we have uh, byte.edit, and that's again, that edit field that was uh, without a now. And then we can do pipe is new. It goes a bit into the weeds, but basically uh, 
applying that is new filter on a date in the template. You can kind of play with it. And what we do, for example, is to give it a class and then I guess show a, a new image on it. Put, put a little new badge or something on it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I guess if we post uh, the snippet, it makes more sense. But uh, yeah, basically it's it's a way to to write a filter and that you don't have to do a lot of if else and, and complex logic in the template, but you have that actually in the back end. And then you can just use it uh, as a, as on the object in the template. I guess yeah. let's show the, the code in the gist. Yeah, we'll just show the code, but yeah, yeah, it's a cool way to basically put a little pipe filtering operator on there and it runs a little bit of custom code that you write. Yeah. In, you write it in Python, it runs it in templates. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that, that's well stated, I think. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. It's, and you could do anything, right? So it's, it's uh, pretty robust. So when I'm looking through this, you're talking about templates a lot. A little while ago, we talked about how it was nice to start out with some code or you know, when you're creating these pages, maybe the database is empty, but you want some stuff in the page because it's super hard to actually see what's going on and design the pages without some content. So maybe some kind of lorem ipsum. Yep, that's one that uh, <laughs> that comes out of the box, right? I was so surprised that Django has lorem ipsum built into it. <laughs> Must be in high demand, you know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Now, it would be better. I mean, this is pretty good. It would be better if it were hipster ipsum, which is like Lorem <laughs> ipsum, but speaks, <laughs> it speaks hipster speak, I guess you would call it. <laughs> like Stumptown, XOXO, Kitar, Semiotics, PBR, NP, Street Art, Blue Bottle Before They Sold yeah. Out, Pop-Up Mixtape, and so on. Of course, Portland shows up in here. But, That's awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah. So anyway, if, if people are looking for uh, like Lorem Ipsum filler, there's actually like a Lorem Ipsum operation like empty as well in Django. Wow, <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah, let me see. Let me pull it really quick just to see the, the tag. It is, yeah, you just do percent Lorem count method randomness close percent close curly and boom, out it comes. It's beautiful. Yeah, look at Lorem 2W random. Well, I'll put two random Latin words. How cool is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's really cool, actually, yeah. that it's built right into the templates. And what's yeah. nice is you don't have to have, like, paragraphs of junk that you're going to then delete. You have literally, like, just a little bit with, like, I want 20 words here. Yeah. Right, so super yeah. cool. Or remember when you were maybe was recording one time, like, a pretty print of um, how much time a comment was posted, like, uh, mm -hmm. four days and six hours ago. So I actually thought that was humanized, and I guess humanized can do that, but it's actually here on the... The text page, time since, yeah. Oh, really? Like it takes a date time and then it will like humanize it into yeah, like was... half an hour ago, an hour ago, a week ago. Yeah. Oh, that is super cool. Yeah, I love to see dates like that. Yeah. Yeah, we use that on our on our messages and, and forums. It's it's super nice. It, it just reads. Yeah, it's perfect. Nicer, you know, and you don't yeah, have yeah, to write cool. that logic, right? It just comes in a template. <laughs> perfect. That's so, awesome. Uh, we're so the batteries. All right. So, are you ready for a bonus round? Yeah. Yeah, let's, right. let's do a bonus round. Let's do it. All right. So, uh, yeah, bonus number one, hit us. Okay. And I've not used this that much, but playing with it yesterday, it's actually pretty cool. It's uh, Django extensions. And I will just highlight uh, a few things you can do. You can do Python, manage.py, graph models, and then um, minus A, oh. minus O, and then a PNG. And it will make a PNG or ping, whatever you call it, of uh, all your models 
in your So it'll database. create like a UML diagram of your so, Django yeah. ORM models, basically. Yeah, something like that and how they're linked together. Yeah, mine is like I know super it's small. Because it's UML, but yeah, it's definitely more or less. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's so small because there are so many models <laughs> in our thing, but uh, pretty yeah, cool. Exactly. Like uh, how you can visualize that, I guess, if you would, you know. Uh, get more developers on board. Yeah, you talked about Shell. Yeah, I mentioned Shell before, and there's actually a Shell underscore plus that comes with the Django extensions, and then you can also give it dash dash IPython, and then you drop into an IPython shell, and it also imports all your models, so you don't have to uh, import them manually, so that's pretty convenient. And not part of the Django extension, but I did want to mention is uh, a plugin called Django dash tiny mce which gives you mm-hmm. a rich uh, text editing field and it's, uh, it's yeah, pretty sweet cool. yeah um, yeah. yeah so tiny mce is like a WYSIWYG. what you see what you get yeah. html editor right yes yeah so this like brings it in or something like uh, makes it easy to use in django yeah so you would use the html field so from tiny mce.models import html field so it would of course cause another migration but yeah it's it's pretty easy to use and uh it's a huge improvement for the end user, right? So Yeah, that's super cool. You know, while you're on the topic of that, I'll throw one more out there is simplemde.com. Mm. So tiny MCE is cool, but I think the ultimate outcome is HTML and simple MDE is a beautiful markdown editor that's just pure JavaScript. Uh, yeah, pure client side JavaScript. It has like hotkeys, it has side by side secretized scrolling, all like even the markdown. Like the text in Markdown, even though it's plain text, it's like the headings are bigger than the code bits and whatnot. It's it's really easy. Just throw it on a text area. Looks super nice. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it's very nice. Just turn off spell checker. It'll tell you everything's misspelled. It's annoying. <laughs> All right. Our bonus number two. Keep it flying. Uh, celery. Yeah. Celery really want to mention that because uh, we're, especially in the enterprise where I see Django, I see Celery. Like it's just always tasks that are that have to be offloaded and be done async-wise. That makes sense, right? Be- right. Some things are just not meant to be done in the context of a direct request. I, no. I learned this the hard way with my site. So <laughs> there's a backend that will let me email the people in a particular course. Like, So I could go, if there's an update, like a problem with a course, I can go into that course to email everybody who subscribed here. <laughs> the first time I did, I didn't really think this all the way through. I went in and I, I filled out an email, I hit go, and you just sat there and it spun and it spun, and it spun. And then eventually it timed out after like 20 seconds and crashed. I'm like, oh no. (laughs) So it emailed like thousands of people, but I don't know who actually got the email because I said everybody, and it got partway through and then crashed. And so then what I do, I email them again. The first half will get the double. The second half didn't get it at all. Like I'm just like, what have I done? What a fool. Yeah, so don't do that. That's a bad experience. But now your Sunday evening will be shorter, right? Because you know, the ORM and you can, but yeah, you would have to write some sort of script to see who got emailed or not, you know? Yeah, exactly. I go like scrape the logs or something, right? Like exactly, it was really, yeah. I it's basically decided, well, I guess the other half of the class is just not getting that message. I'm sorry. Yeah. So now with Celery, right? You would click send and you would be immediately back at the, from the request cycle. So back at your interface. Right. Dump it in a queue, throw it at Celery and say, start emailing these people. It's, it's on the queue and it's all time. happening yeah. in the background. Yeah. So yeah, that's, um, nice. and you know, for, for other things like heavy file processing, um, anything intensive, send it to yeah. a queue, right? Because the user yeah. shouldn't be waiting for that. I think even for some of my stuff, I started doing logging on a queue. 
I'm just like, I don't want this, whatever this is, I don't want it to like be part of this request. I'm just going to throw it over there and we'll get to it in a minute. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 And a quick debugging t- uh, tip. If you want to debug salary, actually, sometimes it's convenient to not send it to a queue and have it as part of your main process. And you can set salary underscore always underscore eager equals true uh, in your settings. And then all the, then it doesn't go to a task queue anymore, but it goes straight to your main console where you have run server running and it's just easier to debug. So just want to mention that tip that that's not very well documented, but uh, it definitely helped me on a few occasions. Yeah, very cool. That's awesome. I definitely need to make better use of Celery and what I'm doing as well. All right, last one. This one I just threw on there. So I'll tell you about it, Bob. Uh, oh, cool. I told you that there's like all these headers you should be putting into your code hmm. and to your HTTP response. And if you go look at the OWASP, top 10 web vulnerabilities, the open web security group or whatever that OWASP stands for, they go through and they keep track of all the problems, right? And some of those can be, you know, cross-site scripting, embedding your stuff in something that looks like your site, like embed something that basically is your site in an iframe, but then put a transparent overlay that captures keystrokes for like, say, username and password, all sorts of bad stuff like that. So there's all these headers you should send back. So if you use this thing called securepy, which is uh, github.com type slash type error slash secure.py, and I don't know how they got this, but it's pip install secure, which is incredible that that's still available. But the idea is it just on any of these frameworks, including Django, it will just, as middleware, just drop in all the changes you need. And it's like, for Django, let's see, what does it take? Oh, that's just the Django. There's a super simple integration on how to set it up. I got to pull up the docs. Anyway, it's really... Super easy. And then you get things like strict transport security, cross-site protection, X-frame options, the same origin, like all those kinds of things that you would like to have uh, that you might forget. And because it's middleware, it's just like magic. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah. I mean, just, cool. And uh, it works with like 15 different frameworks or 10 different frameworks. It's really almost no matter what you're using, it works with it, you know? Yeah. Wow. And you just add it to middleware with app.securemiddleware.setsecureheaders. Yeah. Really cool. Yeah. <laughs> It's literally like one function, like a simple decorator that you write, uh, more or less, uh, simple, simple middleware. Yeah, you just add it in there and off it goes. So it, it integrates just like you'd expect. Anyway, yeah. that's just, uh, it's so easy to add that security. And who knows if something else comes out that you're supposed to start doing, you know, secure.py might get updated and your site will just magically be more secure and you don't have to think about that, which is always nice. Yeah. Theoretically. Pretty cool. Thanks. Yeah. 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 You bet. Of course. Of course. All right. Well, we did it. We didn't take four hours to cover that, even though it did take some <laughs> some time. I mean, we, yeah. you guys who are listening and can't see, there's a ton of details. We kind of skipped over. We could have gone into yeah. deep, right? Like, like you said, with manage that pie is probably its whole episode. For example, we've got Django test, we've got Django rest framework, we got Wagtail, we got Sentry, Django channels. We mm-hmm. haven't even touched on authentication. There's all sorts of stuff, right? That, you, that you did mention Sentry. You did mention Sentry. I, d- I did, which, uh, but yeah, which, yeah. Uh, not as an official uh, item, but I'm yeah, glad yeah, you I did. threw it in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Sentry's cool. Because there were some definitely, 500 definitely. errors we uh, would have never known about. Uh, well, not yeah, exactly. or anything. Oh, it's, it's real yeah, life they're, use. They're you know? so <laughs> rare. They're so rare and they're under weird edge cases. And if you run a website, you should definitely install something like Sentry or Rollbar or something like that where you get notifications anytime there's an error. At first, it's annoying. Like there's certain things that you can't control. Somebody will try to, you know, post a binary thing to some part of your API 
where it all expects like Latin characters. So you'll get like a non-Latin parse area. You're like, okay, well, there's nothing I can do about this, but you could yeah. start muting those types of things. And eventually you'll be like, oh, I got these errors. And literally, I would say more, certainly more than one time, I have seen an error come in over one of those channels, figured out what was going on, fixed it, and then sent a message to the user and said, I'm sorry, I saw you had this error. Here's, I fixed it. And they're like, well, I was just about to write you. This is crazy that you actually, I didn't even tell you there was an error and you fixed it and contacted me. That's so cool, right? Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, often it's, they, it's oh, 500 error, this sucks, and they go away, right? That's a, <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> and now you're proactive about it, so that 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 really makes a difference. Yeah, and yeah. even if they're mad and they go away and they've lost faith, whatever, like, you know, there's nothing you can do to change the past, but it's your site is better every time you catch one of these errors that you wouldn't have caught. So Yeah, but I agree that, that a lot of time it's like edge cases, but sometimes there's something that, that might indicate a bigger problem. That's so it's good to know. Right. Uh, or you deploy something that's bad and all of a sudden it's like gone crazy and your email and text messages are full. You're like, whoa, 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 I better go check this out. Yeah. This is not good. Yeah, it feels a bit safer, right? To do a yeah. git push to <laughs> having that it's, uh, it's a bit alert safer. system. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> At least you'll see the smoke if it catches on fire. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, these are really fun things to, to cover, Bob. And I think people really enjoy them. We can put together some of them just, and we'll try to link to the others in the show notes. Yeah, cool. We'll do. Yeah, but you don't get out of here without answering the final two questions. Uh oh. So if you're going to write some Django code, what editor do you use? Yes, yeah, I, st- I still use Vim. It's, uh, yeah, it won't go away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's as I always say, it's a steep learning curve, right? Uh, the beginning was very awkward using that editor, but it has this compound effect, and when once you get to a lot of shortcuts and you just become pretty fast in it and it's, it's very convenient, but I'm missing yeah. out on all the IDE features, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. You want to hear a little Vim joke? Yeah. How do, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I might. <laughs> yeah. So how, how do you generate a random string? <laughs> yeah, I know. You, and, uh, <laughs> uh, trying to exit it. <laughs> you put a uh, first year computer science student <laughs> in, in Vim and ask them to exit. <laughs> yeah. That's so good. <laughs> yeah yeah it's all yeah. good all right yeah. and then we covered so many packages here but maybe just throw out a, a couple of packages that you're like man people need to know about this thing yeah i'm, I'm going to uh kind of abuse the fact that we had to leave some out to pull them in here <laughs> so we didn't talk about <laughs> this uh, is like the bonus, bonus round <laughs> the bonus bonus so django all out is a great package or plugin to um yeah to really make your authentication in django easy Mm-hmm. And and Django REST framework, um, I still find it a great, great package software to to build APIs in Django. But if it doesn't have to be Django, then let's throw in Python Date Util, which is really cool. Yeah, yeah, Python Date Util is awesome. I love its ability to parse stuff without me having the, to think too the, much about the it. The fuzzy, fuzzy parsing, right? The, yes, uh, exactly. The it parser. almost yeah. always works. It is so nice <laughs> because you don't have to remember strp time. You just yes. throw it into parse and it magically uh, converts it to a daytime object, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's some site, and I can't remember what it is. I know I covered on Python Bytes, but unfortunately, I'm not tracking it down right now. There's a site that will let you type in a human readable string and then tell you the format string that goes with it. Oh, it's so nice. Oh, no, that's cool. Yeah, so you type like Wednesday at 2, 2 p.m. and it'll it'll actually pull it up. Nah, I can't find it. Oh, well. Anyway, yeah, the that's cool. long story short, this is a great uh, package if you're parsing things, python datutil Yeah, and uh, can I mention another one? Go for it. So if you're working a lot with databases, which obviously happens uh, when you 
when you do web development in Django. For Postgres, PGCLI. PGCLI is like a way nicer interface than PSQL. Yeah. So just pip install it and you will have a lot more fun working with Postgres databases from the command line. Nice. Do you know one, I know one that you recommended was SQLite Browser at sqlitebrowser.org, which is pretty cool, but that's just mm. for SQLite. Have right. you come across Beekeeper Studio at beekeeperstudio.io? No. Oh my goodness. So this is a free open source database GUI for Postgres, SQLite, SQL Server, presumably also Oracle. Works on all the platforms. And man, it is cool. You can even have like saved queries you typically run. It has autocomplete, all kinds of stuff. Wow, that looks pretty nice. Yeah, it, it looks good, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's something you look like you'd want to use. Yeah, like even just an autocomplete query thing, composer is pretty cool. So anyway. We need to link to that as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If we're going to throw out some database management stuff, that's a really good one. I should definitely, yeah, I'll put that in there as well. Cool. All right. Well, we covered a lot of stuff. What a whirlwind, but it was really fun. So yeah, uh, yeah I guess final call to action. People are all excited about what you've talked about. Also, maybe they're interested to see how you've taken some of these ideas and put them into action over at Code Challenges. You know, final call to action, what, what should people do? Yeah, so we don't have... Byte exercises on Django, that was a bit hard, but regardless. Yeah, it's hard to set up the whole server and database infrastructure yeah. in like a little tiny bit, right? That might be possible. It's just, uh, I think we have do have a Flask byte, so I think it's possible because we can install any packages on, on our AWS Lambdas, right? Right. But regardless, go to codechallenge.es and go write some code. That's the best thing uh, you can do if you want to learn Python. And you can also reach out to me uh, by our Slack. So if you go to pybyte Yes, they're on the resources. There's a community link. Anybody join your Slack there? Yeah, that's totally for the community. You've got a really, really vibrant and self-sustaining Slack channel for Python developers, like more than most other places I've seen, which is really cool. I don't. You've got thousands of people in there, right? Yeah, I think we crossed the two thousand mark, and uh, yeah, it's, it's awesome how people are interacting, responding, helping each other. It's 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 such a nice place. Yeah. So they go to codechallenge.es slash community. Is that it? Uh, no, there is a Slack but a logo on the platform. But if you just want the link, then you can also just go to pybyte.es and under the resources drop down, there's a community link. And right, right, right. The, cool. Because Slack sometimes the invite link uh, yeah, <laughs> don't get me started. Expires or whatever. In, don't get so, me started on getting joined into Slack, man. Yeah, so we just have a dedicated <laughs> page, and if you go to pivot.pivot.es, then that always works. <laughs> cool, awesome. Yeah. All right, well, thank you for taking the time to come on here and talk all about this, and congratulations on going full time on your project. Awesome, good work. Thank you. Thanks for having you me. Bet. It was uh, great fun. Yeah, you bet. As always, see ya. All right, cheers. Bye. This has been another episode of Talk Python to Me. Our guest on this episode was Bob Belderbos, and it's been brought to you by Linode and us over at Talk Python Training. Start your next Python project on Linode's state-of-the-art cloud service. Just visit talkpython.fm slash Linode, L-I-N-O-D-E. You'll automatically get a $20 credit when you create a new account. Want to level up your Python? If you're just getting started, try my Python Jumpstart by Building 10 Apps course. Or if you're looking for something more advanced, check out our new async course that digs into all the different types of async programming you can do in Python. And of course, if you're interested in more than one of these, be sure to check out our everything bundle. It's like a subscription that never expires. Be sure to subscribe to the show. Open your favorite podcatcher and search for Python. We should be right at the top.
You can also find the iTunes feed at slash iTunes, the Google Play feed at slash play, and the direct RSS feed at slash RSS on talkpython.fm. This is your host, Michael Kennedy. Thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Now get out there and write some Python code. Thank you.